Amen. Let's pray. God of heaven, you are near, you are here. Lord, we are here to worship you. Lift us up by your presence. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. I hope you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 4. It's not going to be up on the screens, uh, so either in the sermon notes or in your Bible, we're going through the Gospel of John and going to read a fair bit of John chapter 4, and I would love to have you follow along. And while, we're, while you're finding that, uh, just the song that we were just singing, that Jesus, actually, I guess it was the second, the one just before, that Jesus, you reign above it all. How many of you guys believe that? You believe that Jesus Christ reigns above it all? How about this? Does he reign over you, over your life? Does he reign over your life? Yes. You know, you know when we tend to not believe that is when we have failed in some fashion. Then all of a sudden, our theology changes, and all of a sudden, my failure is bigger than God's grace. Anybody ever felt that way before? There's no way he reigns above this. There's no way. Oh, yes, he does. I don't know about you, but I am personally thankful that his grace is greater than my failure. Anybody glad that your sin does not get the final vote in your life? Is that good news? Is that good news? That, that God doesn't quit. He doesn't quit. His grace doesn't quit. And we see that here in John chapter 4. Uh, we begin reading in the fourth verse. He, Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well. Have you guys ever sat? Anybody ever been weary in this room? You know, even Jesus got weary as he walked this planet. He sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Now before I go any farther, let me just stop here. And as we're reading through this, we want to be people of the Word of God, right? So notice there's one thing in this passage that is mentioned three different times. Three different times. So as I'm reading, maybe... Potentially, it's already been mentioned. I don't know. But just, just see if you can pick out, you know, if, if this is the thing that's mentioned three times, it's probably the most important thing in the passage. All right, let's just keep reading. See if you can pick it out. Verse 8, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? But Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Will you say that phrase? Say, never be thirsty again. It, the, the, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. How are you doing this morning? How's the spring? Is it bubbling this morning? 
Are you, are you finding his grace? It bubbles up. It doesn't bubble because of our energy. It bubbles because of his and your own uh, pride or just refusal to believe that his grace is greater than your stuff can stop it up, but it's bubbling down there. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus replied, you're right, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when the true worshipers, do I have any true worshipers here today? When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, those who worship him in spirit and in truth, those who worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The first time Jesus reveals himself is to this woman. Verse 27. But then his disciples, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Notice that. We're going to come back and mention this again. But notice what Jesus says. Could you read verse 32 with me out loud? Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. He's referring to his disciples. Is it possible to be a disciple even and have something that's going to nourish you that you don't even know about? We'll come back to that. Verse 33. Uh, did someone bring him food while we are gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? Well, if you picked it up, what was mentioned three different times is that Jesus was not expected to be talking with this woman. Three different times, the one, maybe the most profound one is verse 27, when scripture says that the disciples were shocked to find him speaking to this woman. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Now, talking to strangers is awkward in any situation. Anybody find it awkward talking to strangers? 
Sure, that's relatively normal, but this goes way beyond normal awkwardness. Jesus had a lot of reasons to ignore this woman. Nobody, including the woman herself, actually expected him to speak to her. But Jesus cares more about this woman than he cares about feeling awkward. Obviously, the disciples didn't feel like this woman was worthy even of Jesus' attention. But how many thank, is anybody in this room besides me thankful that Jesus sits down and talks to people who are not worthy of his attention? Anybody ever feel unworthy of his attention? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for one that Jesus talks to people who are not worthy of his attention. Now, apparently, Jesus gets energized by talking to strangers. When the disciples left, they left Jesus weak and weary, wearily just sitting here, and they returned to find him energized. The change is so dramatic that they think somebody's brought him some food. And let's just look at the verses. I, I called your attention to it. I had you repeat this. Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Now, again, the disciples are thinking physical food because they're seeing a dramatic change in his physical energy level. This is profound to them. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from, let's repeat this phrase, doing the will of God. One more time. Doing the will of God. Doing. Doing the will of God. My nourishment. He, he's getting physical energy out of it. Doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. Now Jesus, in this story, he has just bought, brought amazing grace to this woman's life. Her life has changed forever. But when he explains the situation to his disciples, he only talks about what's in it for us. Did, did you notice that? I mean, just look at the, look at, go back to the verses. Um, he's talking about the food that he's getting. He, he tells them, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. He, he says here, the harvesters are paid good wages. All three of those, he's talking, he's explaining the situation to his disciples. All three of those are things that he, Jesus, personally got out of it and things that they are going to get out of just sharing the love of God with people, of doing the will of God. Now, this is a little strange. I mean, either Jesus is training his disciples to be ridiculously selfish. I mean, really, the only reason I'm going to share God's love with people around me is because uh, the harvesters are paid good wages. Now, either he's training them to be selfish, or there's something a whole lot bigger going on here, and it's option two. There's something much massively bigger going on here. Jesus is not training us how to be selfish. He's correcting probably one of the top five biggest misconceptions that happen in people of faith. And we get so narrow. We, we, it's just a tendency in the human mind. And here's how we do it as Christians. We know this, that the word of God is our food, right? So we come to church to be fed. We read our Bibles to be fed. And if you ask 100 Christians, you know, how do you, how are you fed by God? I think 99 out of 100 would say the Bible. And you're technically true. But here is, I think, probably, it's just one of those top five, I would say, biggest misunderstandings. Um, actually, let's, let's go to the next one. I apologize. I'm, I want to go to 
Um, uh, the mission, did I not put that on? Yes, there we go, <laughs> I'm sorry. The word of God is food for life, for your mission. Uh, the mission, and the reason I say mission and life, because it's the same thing. Jesus, when he left this planet, gave us one command, go into all the world and make disciples. And maybe that, so- that does, that sounds overwhelming, but it's, it's just your life. Did you notice that Jesus, all he was doing was sitting there tired by a well, and God brought this woman right to him. And all he had to do was just talk. And see, yes, the word of God is food, but it's food for the mission. And the mission and your life, and by the way, when we say that, people, I, I'm concerned that people will hear, here's what I'm concerned you'll hear me saying. Like, oh, great, here's an, another thing that I have to do. Pastor Brian, I mean, you got me coming to church. Now I'm, I'm studying my Bible. Pastor Brian, I'm serving on the dream team. For heaven's sakes, Pastor Brian, you've got me tithing. And now, oh, great, now I have to be an evangelist. No, no, you don't. But you do have to keep the number one command that Jesus gave us, that God gives us. Jesus said this. He said the whole Bible hangs on this one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And how does he finish it? What's their big command? Everybody say, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's all say it together. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. It's that simple. If you actually love your neighbor as yourself, and you know the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, you know the gift of God, you're going to have a hard time not sharing a little bit. And that's all he's asking us to do. But it's amazing how sometimes we don't do this. And if we don't, if we don't find the Holy Spirit's energy and start obeying the Holy Spirit's promptings, because God brings people to you. And if you don't obey his promptings and just love people, if you don't do that, you're going to quit growing in God. You're going to become self-centered. I promise you, you can just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper in your Bible and become more and more and more self-centered. It's entirely possible. We've all seen it down. We've probably all been that guy at some point in our life. And I promise you this, eventually you're going to have to look for the right church because this place just isn't feeding me. Is it entirely possible that you've completely missed the picture that the real nourishment, the real food, the real energy comes only by obeying the Holy Spirit in actual life. And that you can't, that coming here is not where you get your ultimate energy from God. It isn't. It's in, do you, do you guys have lives outside of this building? This is not a trick question. Do you spend more hours out there or do you spend more hours in here? Yeah. And I, I'm telling you, if we don't figure this out, that that is where God wants to use. He's placed me strategically. I'm at the right place with the right people. I'm in the right job. And realize that the Holy Spirit's going to prompt me. Now, this should be the most obvious thing in the world. It really is. It is the most obvious thing in the world. I mean, when you, everybody knows this. Whether you're saved or unsaved, whether, whether you've ever heard a Bible verse in your life, You ask anybody, when you stand before God, what do you expect to answer for? Everybody. Everybody knows, well, my life. 
Do you expect to stand before God and answer Bible trivia questions? Oh, that was Moses, not Abraham. Oh, sorry, one more question wrong, and I'm pulling the lever down the chute. No, no, no. Why do we know? Everybody knows. No, 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 no. On that day, on Judgment Day, I answer for what? My life. Because that is what God gifted you with, and that is where you find his grace and his energy. Did you know how many Christian denominations, not churches, there's millions of churches, but denominations, you know, we seclude ourselves a little bit. You know, this is my camp. There, in the world, there are 45,000 Christian denominations. Do you know how many of those 45,000 Christian denominations believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he's the Savior? 45,000. Otherwise, they wouldn't be referred to as a Christian denomination. It's some other little piece of trivia, and, and some of these are important. I'm not suggesting... By the way, if any point in this message you hear me saying that, you know, the problem is we're just reading our Bible too much. No, that is not the problem. That is not at all what I'm saying because I probably read the Bible more than you because if you're going to live on this mission and have any of the Holy Spirit's energy, you're going to need to be drawing food from that Bible. But that's not the end of it. And if we don't start obeying the Holy Spirit, and again, just 45,000 different denominations and so many of these people feel a little bit superior to somebody else because of some little thing in the Bible that they've got right, that, that the other Christians, you know, they're, they're just not deep enough like me. And we, we end up in danger. If we keep going down that road, we end up in danger of becoming this guy as we stand before the Lord. Did you just kind of a little joke there? Uh, at Judgment Day, you were a believer, yes, but you skipped the not being jerk about it part. <laughs> Have you ever met that guy? Have you met that guy? Now, here's the scary part. Because nobody, nobody in here, nobody ever thinks they are that guy. But I'm telling you, I've been that guy. I have. Now, maybe not as blatantly, arrogantly, but just ignoring people, just having God bring somebody to me, even prompt me, even give me some little thing to share, and I just blow it off. It's easy to do. Let's watch Jesus' love. I, I, I'm telling you, and I believe this, that it really is just as simple as loving your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That is the command, and that is love. And how does this happen? How is it possible that as people of faith, we can skip the most fundamental basic part of our Christian faith, and that is sharing his love with people around us? How, how could we possibly skip that? Well, let me give you three quick reasons, and this is how it works. Somehow I've got you out of order, but at this point, it's we need to feel significant. There we go. We need to feel, if, if God has revealed himself to you, how, does anybody here in here believe in God? Do you? Uh, six of you? Do you? Does anybody in here believe in God? Amen. Do you? Okay. Do you know why you believe in God? Because he's shown up. He's revealed himself to you in some fashion that you cannot deny. Now, once God has revealed himself to you, you can't just push him out. You can't. 
So, and you, he's going to be a part of your thinking and your life, and he's going to be a big part. And you have to feel successful with God. You have to feel like you're obeying, you know, you're, you're pleasing. And this mission that he called us to is often uncomfortable. So we change the goal. We change it. My life and sharing God's love in life, we, we, we change the goal. We take the ladder and we just kind of move it to a different building and lean it up against another building. This is the mission. It is. It's sharing the love of God with the people he brings to you. Yeah, sharing the faith of Jesus Christ with people he brings to you. But it's the, there's one bottom line. It is often uncomfortable, and it is almost unbelievable how that little, little teeny bit of uncomfortability will just completely back us away. And if we're going to avoid the mission, well, then we have to redefine success and the two things, here's the two things, the primary things that Christians, how we redefine success. A would be just a Christian family. Pastor Brian and me and my wife Ethel, little Billy and Susie, we are going to be a Christian, Christian family. Us four, no more. We're going to be, can I make you a promise? You're not. If you cut yourself off from the world, and it's just us, oh, we're going to dig in, we're going to dig in deep, we're going to make sure our kids have absolutely no fun whatsoever, only Jesus. Friends, if you don't, if you don't live a life of sharing love with those around you, if you don't teach your children how many recognize this from a young age? I mean, at a young age, they need to start sharing their toys, right? If you don't live a life of sharing a little bit beyond, you're going to become self-centered. And that will happen. And the, the second thing that we change the goal to is Bible knowledge. And by the way, again, I want to repeat, I'm not suggesting you don't need more Bible knowledge, but it is fuel for the mission, for life. And once you've changed the goal, you, you, you get self-centered and you end up being that guy who you don't even, maybe you don't even think of yourself as that jerk, but you just end up that guy. You just end up ignoring the people. Let's watch Jesus share God's love with his neighbor. Look at verse 10, if you're still there. I think I put verse 10 up there. And here's the two things. If you're going to share God's love, you need these two things. Verse 10, Jesus replied, He's speaking to this woman. If you only knew the gift God has for you. And the second thing, and who you are speaking to. Both those things. If, if, if it, it's just this simple. If you believe those two things, and I, I'm convinced those are the two most important parts of being a person who lives on mission, is number one is if you only knew the gift God has for you. Do you do do we in this room, do we realize the gift God has for us? Are, we in, are you enjoying the gift of salvation? Are you enjoying the fact that God's grace is bigger than your mess? Are you enjoying the fact that God keeps pursuing you and keeps 
loving you and keeps forgiving you and keeps lifting you up. Anybody in this room glad that God's grace is bigger than my mess? Is, is that a good news? That's the gift of God, the gift of salvation that keeps, and it keeps changing us. Yes, we still will fall, but our failures, they do. If you track with it, if you're walking with him, they get less and less and fewer and farther apart. And by God's grace, and sometimes they change. Sometimes you find something new that God wants to work on, but you are being changed. You're being saved and you just enjoy the gift. And it's a gift. It's a gift from God. One more time, I'm gonna ask you, are you enjoying the gift from God? Are you enjoying the gift of grace that you can never earn? Just close your eyes real quick. Everybody just close your eyes. Answer that question. Where would I be without the forgiving and redeeming grace of Jesus Christ? Where would I be? That should hit you emotionally. If you're aware of him, there should be a tweak of emotion with that. Just knowing that. All right, you can open your eyes. Now the second one. Know these two things. Know the gift of God. Just realize it's, it's a free gift and he's, he's good to everybody. He's just good. His grace is free to everybody. And the second part, and who you're speaking to. Yes, you need to feel that. Now, not in the way that Jesus did. I'm not suggesting that if you get a chance to share the love of God with somebody, you should say, if you only knew who you were talking to, buckle up. No, but those are the exact perfect words. If just one more time, close your eyes with me one more time, because I want you to picture this. God's just brought somebody who just needs grace just like you do. And you should feel this way towards this person. Maybe they don't have faith yet. Maybe they're new to faith, but they're struggling in some way. And you just said this, if you knew how empty I am without his redeeming love, and if you only knew how he's cared for me, how he has carried me, how he has lifted me when I don't deserve it, how he has pursued me, if you only knew, first of all, the gift, and second, who you're talking to, I, I'm being saved and I don't deserve it. You see it? All right, you can look back up here, but I hope that both of those, both of those should hit you. And if we just have those, that, that, was, that was Jesus's bottom line as he shared. Now, obviously he's coming from a little different angle with who you're talking to. But if we just believe that, and the fact is God will bring people to your life. Now notice in this conversation with her, by the way, just before I, I share this next verse, I just want to show you just a, a quick story. And, and I mentioned that this mission is often, it's not always, but it's often uncomfortable. And rather than tell a story from three years ago, I just want to go to yesterday. Because I'm praying that prayer every day. We have a prayer. We ask you to pray, God, send me one person to share your love with. And are they all wildly profound? No, but here, here was mine yesterday. I uh, had a a group Saturday morning of young men as we're, we were discussing. Uh, we were actually discussing pray for one. We are actually discussing, you know, how God has been using us in the world. And as we were talking, this thought came. I'm, I was performing a wedding yesterday up in Pittston. And as we're talking, this picture came to me 
of me taking the groomsmen before the, before, you, before the wedding starts and just leading them in speaking a blessing over the groom. Now, this is something I had never done before. And by the way, if you've ever been a groomsman, as a pastor, I've been in this room a thousand times, but you know, maybe you're only a couple times in your life, but here's what's normal on planet Earth in the groomsmen room before a wedding. Now, while the women are beautifying themselves, the men are drinking beer and watching football. I'm not trying to be funny. That, that was exactly what was happening yesterday. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that's what's happening. Oddly enough, if you took a look at these two rooms, if there's one of these two rooms that should be beautifying themselves, it's the men's room. <laughs> Oddly enough. But while the women frantically, I mean, they started way ahead of us and nonetheless. Um, and I, but I just had this picture of, no, today, today. I've never done this before. I've been a pastor here for 27 years. I've never done this. Today, lead those men in speaking a blessing over the groom. Preston is the young man's name. And let me just say right now, the first thought that hit me, you know the first thought that hit me was like, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. Now, maybe as you listen to me, here's what I would guess. As you listen to me, you'd be like, yeah, that'd be great. But when you're the one doing it, there's always that little, sometimes it's big, it's always at least, at least mouse size though, that little awkwardness. And here's what's awkward. And let me just tell you how it played out. I, I walk into the room and of course, there's five guys drinking beer and watching football. Who wants to be the guy to step in there and say, hey, could we uh, shut the football game off for a minute and uh, prophesy blessings over the groom? <laughs> it's a little bit awkward. It just is. I, I could tell you a hundred stories, but every one of them involve just that much, that much of... Now, here's the weird thing is when you look back, at, at all the times where I've said yes, and I just did what he said, it's like that little thing was so small. But that little thing keeps us out. And, and I think that, you know, here's what a lot of people believe. You know that some people, oh, Pastor Brian, you're just evangelistically gifted, and, and that comes easy to you. That's not true. That is not true. I'll, I will have a Intra, introversion arm wrestling match with anybody in this room. I'm introverted. It is not easy for me. But here's what I've learned, I, and I learned it 10, 15 years ago, that all of the fun is out here with people. All of the Holy Spirit's real energy, all of the real good stuff, I can't find home alone in my Bible. I have to take that into the real world of humanity. And when God gives me a nudge to do something, I just have a phrase that I use on myself. You can use it if you want. Here's my phrase. Here I go. <laughs> and I'm dead serious. I just say that to myself. Here I go. And I'll, sometimes I actually do that. If you ever see me do that, you know, you know what I do. There we go. <laughs> Why do I do that? Because I know it's going to be just a millimeter awkward. It's like, but you know what? 99, and occasionally it is awkward. But I would say 99 times out of 100, it's not awkward at all. It just feels that way. 
in your brain. And I'm convinced there's a lot of people going to stand before God and like think they've got these excuses as to why they never shared God's love beyond their own little circle. And we've got these great excuses. And, and Lord, I was just, you know, you made me so shy, Jesus. And, and Lord, there was a big demon keeping me from it. And the Lord would say, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, there was a demon trying to push you back. Can I show the demon to you? We just call him Clyde. He, he's a mouse about that tall. Yeah. Was it a little bit awkward? Sure. Here we go. Just, I just, and by the way, do your best to keep it as unawkward as possible. Please, it's not our job to think through, how can I make this as awkward as possible? I'll just come in there boldly and proclaim, shut that off, we're going to speak blessing over Preston. No, no, let's make it as unawkward as possible. And you know what? It wasn't awkward. It really wasn't awkward at all. And those guys, one after the other, if you ever heard somebody with five beers in them <laughs> basically prophesy, it's quite a wild situation. But one after, now I started, I just explained it real quick. I said, you know what? Let's just pause this game for a minute. Let's just, let's just speak some blessing over Preston. And all ears, all eyes, and I wish I had time. Oh, I want to cry when I think about it. Because there was some, some of the most profound things spoken. His, his dad was in the room and they had been a little bit estranged and his dad stepped up and just spoke. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of men who've never heard their dad bless them. And I was just like, oh. And that, all that happened, though, you've got to get over that little mouse. But let's all do it together. Here I go. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. I want to call it really quickly. Did you notice in the story where Jesus asked her to go get her husband? She says, I don't, don't have one. And, and at face value, it appears that he's just slamming her with her sin. And, and he is confronting it for sure. But did you notice her response? What was her response when Jesus said, you, you've had five husbands, the man you're with now is not your husband? What, what, what was her response? Have you ever been, has anybody ever offended you before? Have you ever been offended in your life? How do you respond when somebody offends you? You basically just turn and walk away or just ignore the conversation. Her response is, I perceive you're a prophet. Have you ever been offended and that was your next response? I perceive that you're a prophet. No, no, she was not offended. See, we read tone into these things. What Jesus was actually doing was putting his finger on her pain. That Now, her pain happened to be her sin, and that's the case probably 99 times out of 100. But his real point was, is here's your need. There's a thing on this planet called relationship addicts. The definition is these people are characterized by needing a relationship to be happy. This person cannot be alone. 
And Jesus just put his finger on that. Now that's, I'm not suggesting that every time you share God's love, but often God will lead you there. Not in, and is, again, as, as unawkwardly as possible, let me just share another story that happened just this past week. And again and again, when I get these promptings, my first reaction is, oh, not that. But I had just prayed that morning. I had just gotten done praying, God, send me one person today to share your love with. And does anybody else in this room pray that prayer? Can we just pray that out loud together right now? God, send me one person today to share your love with. If you pray that prayer, how many know that on occasion you actually mean it and you can tell when you mean it? I mean, you actually have faith. You're like, God, send me one person today. You actually believe it. And by the time you're down, you're like nervous because like, oh, he's going to do it. I know it. (laughs) Doggone it. He's going to do it. I had just finished that prayer. I was in my car on the way to work, pulling down the driveway, and I see my neighbor, uh, a woman, she may be 30 years of age, with her three-year-old son, and they're taking in the trash barrel, and she's lifting up the lid to close it and allowing him to to push to make him feel like he's closing this big lid all by himself. And as soon as I saw that, that prompting hit me and I knew, Brian, stop and tell her she's a good mother. I was like, there's that little mouse again. He's, He's about that tall. But if you listen, if you let your brain work, that, that little thing will keep you out of all the fun. I'm like, okay. You know what I did? You guys know what I did? How many know what I, what did I do? Here we go. <laughs> and so I just stopped the car. I mean, luckily, you know, when you're driving, you don't have that much time to think through this. You're like, if you have too much time to think about it, all the way up to Pittston, I could argue with myself. This one was a little bit easier. I'm like, well, here we go. And there, you know, in four seconds, I'm down the driveway and I'm like, so I just stepped out and I said, uh, and she just, you know, looked right up and, you know, we've talked before. And I just said, you know, I just saw you help, you know, allowing your son to feel like he's lifting that up. I said, you know, you're such a good mother. I just wanted to tell you that. And she almost like cries. She's just like, oh. She said, you know, I don't feel like that. I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like a good mother. Thank you so much. And I just said, well, I, and then it just happened. I'm like, well, gosh, I, I see you all the time out here, you know, playing with him and doing things. And you are a great mom. And she went on a little bit about how she feels. Long story short, that wasn't very long. But then that evening when I got home from work, I'm sitting out front and they've got chickens and occasionally their chickens come over in our yard and we've had a conversation like, hey, chickens eat ticks, send them on over, we don't care, you know. So for whatever reason, this day, she followed the chickens over and I'm guessing because she was kind of coming after them, one of them ran into our garage and she came over with her son. In two years, this has never happened. The chickens have been in our yard 3,000 times. She's never followed them. But today she follows them. And one chicken went into our garage and she went in after it. And then this time Raquel was with me and she brought her son. And I just mentioned something really quick because she'd said something that morning about her son getting him in some 
program. And then she started talking to Raquel about how she's homeschooling. And she's not homeschooling out of Christian faith. Uh, they don't have faith yet. But she's homeschooling. Bottom line is because she's fearful for her son. She's fearful of this world. Anybody ever been afraid of this world? Just fearful what's going to get into your kids? Anybody have that fear? Yeah. And she was, this was a fear in her life. Long story short, her and Raquel, I just sat there and I listened to this conversation. And Raquel was able to so speak into her life about, yes, the challenges of motherhood. And again, kind of like the other story of how the men should be beautifying themselves. Once again, as I'm listening to this story, I'm like, wow, I guess women don't feel like they're good mothers. I guess they feel like it's a struggle. Ladies, I don't know if you know this, but as men, we feel like we're crushing it. <laughs> I mean, the kid likes football, right? You got a job? <laughs> Crushed it. <laughs> apparently women struggle with this I didn't know that when I you know, was prompted to say that to her but they had this amazing conversation and she left just so blessed and I know your next thought is well Pastor Brian did you invite her to church no that's not seven eight times out of ten that is not the next step it's not this is a gathering where we as believers, exalt him. Now, I'm not saying that we do as well as we can to be inviting, but do you know that your home is a far greater evangelist, a far greater atmosphere to share the love of God with somebody who doesn't know Christ than this building? That's the fact. Just at your dinner table is a shockingly more better place to share the love of God. Friends, I can go on and on. I'm, I'm out of time. But just one final thing. Did you notice in the story, Jesus didn't pick her out. Jesus didn't say, you know, okay, I had a crowd of people like, oh, that the spirit is leading me to that one. We get way too in our head about this. Do you know how, he, do you know how Jesus knew she was the one? Because he was sitting there all by himself, weak and weary, and she's the only one who came and sat down. This is not complicated. The living God brings people right to your nose. And when I pray that prayer, God send me one person to share your love with. Oftentimes it's, don't delineate between, oh, this person is already a Christian, this person isn't a Christian. Share the love of God with who God brings you. And if you'll just do that, you'll watch the living God, and the Holy Spirit's energy. Jesus said, I have food you know nothing about. And I'm going to say it one last time, we're done. If you don't figure this out, you're going to end up dry. You'll be dry. All the Bible reading in the world isn't going to fix this. The right church won't fix this. It's me and my life. And that's what I'm going to stand before God and answer for. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? God, open our eyes. Jesus, you told your disciples to wake up and look around. God, help us to, to just do that today, just to wake up and look around. There is your energy, your grace flows through us as we simply share your love, share your grace. God, help us to see it. If anyone in here, if any of us have believed the lie that we're just too shy, we're just too whatever. Nobody's looking around, but if 
you're being poked in your heart. Maybe you're sitting here realizing, boy, I love my neighbor as myself. I've lived next to my neighbor for 20 years. I don't even know their name. If you're being prompted in your heart, you realize, you know, I don't think I've been sharing his love. Nobody's looking around. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Just lift it up before God. Say, God, forgive me. God, help me. God, help us. Let's, as I finish, let's pray this prayer out loud. God, send me one person today to share your love with. One more time. God, send me one person today to share your love with. God, it's that simple. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.